0: I'm Aaron Armstrong, I'm Pete Moran, and we love to watch, we love to watch Astronauts Have Violent Sex. I've got you under my skin, I've got you deep in
1: the heart of me. Uh, Hi, Peter. Uh, Hey,
0: hey, Aaron. How you doing? I'm pretty good. That's that's nice.
1: Yeah, uh, this whole this whole thing seems uh, seems super
0: weird now. Um, so like we didn't we didn't know each other at all, and it was way way more more comfortable. Yeah, then, I mean we definitely. Yeah. I mean we we had a night out. This
1: is actually our first time having any sort of communication since since that night, and I feel like since we didn't really talk about segments or anything else. Um, why don't we just kind of uh, talk about our night like it's a segment? And we'll just we'll just to make it uh, officially a segment. We'll preface everything with you know uh, it was it was great meeting you. Um, let's let's try to be enthusiastic when we say <laughs> to cut all this out. But uh, try to be enthusiastic. Be like you know it was great meeting you, and then you know just talk about something that happened, and you know that way because you know, we did meet we did get a chance to hang out for a few hours um it was it was a thing that happened so let's 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 turn it into a segment what do you think sure okay now add, add a little pep in because we're gonna we're gonna this is this is for this is for everyone now not just us okay and we'll, we'll we'll talk about the end uh where the show's gonna go from here but we we promised people species too so you know yeah, try to get I a little
0: try get a little energy you ready Three. Yeah, I hate to, hate to disappoint all the fucking mooks that demanded a Species 2 episode. Yeah, never yeah. mind. You know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm going to cut all this out. Okay. I'll, I'll cut out this out. It's fine. Okay. It's uh, so you three. Wanna, you wanna do, do you want to intro us to this, or yeah, do you sure. want to just yeah. sit yeah. Out? So okay, here. three, two,
1: one. So Peter and I are going to tell you a little bit about our night out. Uh, we're going to make a little segment out of it. This this segment's called It Was Great Meeting You, and I'll, I'll start. Uh, Peter, it was great meeting you. Uh, I'm glad that everyone drank a uh, reasonable amount of alcohol. The exact right amount, not a weird, inappropriate amount. I'm glad that everyone controlled their liquor intake. That was good, because, you know, if you go overboard, shit can
0: get super weird, so. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad nothing got weird. Hey, but, um, you know, it was a great mini-earn, but next time, like, no no Eskimo kisses? It's more of a thing that friends, uh, they, like, never do. Not, like, sometimes, but, like, ne- Never. And also, thank you for teaching me. I guess I should take some blame as well because thank you for teaching me that hugs can last less than the full length of the Perfect Strangers theme song.
1: I, I was, don't. Know, I don't know how long the theme song was. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you cut me off. Oh, pretty oh, yeah, quickly. Yeah, you were. You were saying You were trying to sing
0: it. I didn't. I. I mean, you got like half a note in. Intimacy means different things for different people, and I'm just. We needed to figure out kind of what was going on. Yeah. But yeah, it was still. A, Great, great to meet you. All your friends seem to like the Eskimo. Um, uh, yeah, my girlfriend loved it. Yeah, that, that's the way the word I would use. Yeah, they, Lo- they loved. They said yeah. thank you. Um. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank, it was great meeting you, Peter. Uh, it's
1: it's unfortunate that all the bars were such sticklers on that no shirt, no shoes policy. Uh, but I understand. Sometimes when you pack, you forget stuff.
0: I thought it would be okay because uh, I was going to Minnesota, which is you know. Uh, a see now. Land. See now. You, because you have a reason it's starting to sound like you didn't forget that this was that you purposely didn't didn't take the shoes and the shirts well the second the first half of my trip was in Minneapolis the second half was camping so I kind of just assumed that I could ride out that wild man thing all week and that Minneapolis is like you know a two-horse town so yeah you know what it's okay to
1: be a wild man but bunions are no joke Um, I think I think bunions are caused by shoes.
0: Um, <laughs> not 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 wearing shoes. Uh, You know, Aaron, it was really great to meet you. I hope that rash clears up, bud. Thank you. It was really great meeting you too, Peter. Uh, And trust me, no one could tell. You know, it was great meeting you, Aaron, but I'm I'm glad that we decided to keep secret on the whole Saki incident. It's better we forget that it ever happened and let history kind of follow our example. Uh, I mean, it's definitely going to be in history.
1: You you know, it was great meeting you, Peter. Uh, I'm glad the appropriate amount of
0: sexual contact occurred. (laughs) And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that I smeared blood all over your apartment. Uh, and also, I'm sorry that I smeared blood on your face and said, now two become one. <laughs> that yeah, was...
1: I said it was the appropriate amount. That seems... I didn't say none.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to make sure, like, I know that you're, like... You're saying, like, it was the appropriate amount, but, like, I still feel the need to apologize, because that's usually, like, a a second or third date kind of thing. Oh, okay. Well, you know, my culture, it's, you know, it's pre-dating. It's (laughs) pre-dating. Yeah. Uh...
1: It was, uh, it was great meeting you, Peter. Uh, you, you're an excellent dancer. Uh, everyone at the Burger King was really
0: impressed. <laughs> uh, thank you. I mean, uh, it, w- it was hard to tell because I was just kind of in one of those trances uh, that, uh, you know, people get into when they're just really in the zone. So I appreciate your support.
1: I mean they gave you a crown um, and everything.
0: I just had to ask for a crown at the counter yeah, and they James were like
1: ask. I mean yeah you had to ask for it but they gave it to you. I mean that rarely <laughs> happens when you ask people for crowns. <laughs> there's there's like one place. Yeah. will happen. Yeah. You go anywhere else your success rate's going to be a solid 0% but you know <laughs> yeah. you broke
0: the odds. <laughs> It's location based, but you still broke. Aaron, thank you. It was great meeting you, Um, though. I did think it was kind of weird that you brought your family to the bar behind you on a series of chains. And then when we went inside the bar, you closed the door on the chains and they had to wait outside. Is that like a Minnesota thing? I need someone to pay. It's like my
1: chain wallet. Is that what a chain wallet is? It's just your family members tied to a chain to
0: have your money. And then they yeah, you give them the monies. Yeah. And then when you need the money you pull you pull in the chain and say, Give me that money back. And your daughter has two kidneys and that's like just it's not I mean it's not liquid money, but it's 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 an e- asset for sure. Let,
1: let's just say it's easier than an ATM. Um <laughs> Depending on which yeah, part if, of town you're in, if we go over the amount that I budget for a night, uh, I want to get, I want to, I want to be able to have more money without uh, having to get that ridiculous ATM
0: fee. <laughs> Uh, wouldn't you just love to just slap a kidney on the counter? Yeah, yeah a young one. It's still, it still got growth room. It was <laughs> Let it grow
1: into your body cavity. Yeah, exactly. It'll fit anyone eventually. It was great meeting it's... you, uh, Peter, uh, for the last time. Uh, that guy at the end of the bar uh, wasn't David Schwimmer. It was just
0: a guy having a bad day. <laughs> it was great meeting you, Aaron. Um, I really enjoyed how uh, whenever I mentioned I was going to a Minnesota Twins game on the 4th of July, you kept flashing your tits at me. Um, Woo! That's what it's <laughs> I mean, said. I mean, they're great tits. But um, you know, maybe, I maybe, feel, maybe feel the room. Not with your tits, just okay. like it's a figure of speech. Yeah, last time
1: I was filling the room, you got mad at me. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so it was great meeting you, Peter. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's quite what happened on 9-11. Uh, but I am impressed that you brought all those charts and graphs all the way from Chicago. <laughs>
0: I don't bring, uh, you know, shirts, shoes, socks everywhere necessarily, but I do bring my chart folio. Yep. Well, maybe, maybe put some sources on them if you're going to put them all that way. I mean,
1: you just, you just drawn and crayon like orange flames.
0: (laughs) I don't know, man. Were you there? Uh, at the bar were where you brought there? the graphs? Yeah, no, I was there. That's why I, <laughs> this is what we're talking about. Aaron, it was really great to meet you. I'm sorry that I besmirched the good name of Perkins, though in retrospect, you didn't have to spit-scream every item on the Perkins menu at me. Tendermelt! <laughs> yes yeah, see, you're doing it again. Oh, sorry. It's really nice to be to be behind the um, spit-screen that is 500 miles. <laughs> I, I miss being
1: able to do that to your face. <laughs> So and finally, my last thing. Uh, it was great meeting you, Peter. Uh, thank you so much for demonstrating the five finger fillet from Aliens. Uh, it was really amazing that you didn't even get close to cutting one of your fingers. Uh, <laughs> too bad about your penis, though. <laughs> uh, but at least I don't have
0: to pay that moil now. Uh, no, or anyone yeah. ever, nor <laughs> anyone ever. for penis-related surgery. Uh, um, Aaron, it was really great to meet you. I'm sorry that I kept dry heaving at the mere sight of your presence. From the Facebook photos, I would have never guessed that you were a bag of chicken nuggets that gained sentience during a free government experiment. Long live the new flesh! Yeah, thanks. Um, you know they have a lot of good filters on Instagram.
1: That's most of my <laughs> most of my photos take a take a few times through the filter zone.
0: So some people some people turn themselves into puppy dogs or give themselves uh, you know like a Coachella headdresses of flowers. But yours is just I just want a human face.
1: <laughs> yep. Uh, and my family is just just me holding two other smaller but also sentient uh, chicken nuggets.
0: Obviously smaller. Yeah. Pop, yeah, a little a little pop pop a, pop a nugget bag is yeah. uh, it's, it's got to reign supreme.
1: Yeah. Don't even t- I never told you about my uh, my background where the toxic waste fell on those McDonald's plastic toys from the early 90s. Oh the, no, the chicken nugget family. <laughs> <laughs> it's a deep cut. So uh, yeah, it was great meeting you at all. Honestly, we we had a lot of fun. Most of those things, yeah, most of those things didn't happen. Yeah,
0: we actually did drink the appropriate amount. I think so. Peter did Mm. pick up the tab. I still owe money. (laughs) I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, According to my parole officer, it was an inappropriate amount, but to me, it felt right. Yeah, well, that explains that thing on
1: your ankle that kept going off.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was really annoying. Uh, I Actually, actually, I had to ask the restaurant to turn the music up a little louder. (laughs) Really, really, Blair, this passion pit, guys. (laughs) Super into manners. I'm happy to report that uh, Aaron uh, is a a normal dude, and I didn't get catfished or murdered. Yeah. And that uh, Aaron is a very nice person, but... We both have the uh, talk-too-loud-in-public thing. Yep. And the conversations that you hear are
1: heavily edited because we tend to go on tangents. Um, that's That happens... Uh, even more in real life, it turns out. Um, Because I I remember there was a point where it was like, oh, okay, we were eight uh, conversation points down the road, and then it was like, wait, no,
0: I'm off track. Let's get back to this thing I started talking about an hour ago. But I I think we were off, like, detours of a detour Mm -hmm. of a detour within, like, 15 minutes. I'm pretty sure we were talking about something inappropriate within 30 seconds of talking. Because I think we did, like, the niceties of, like, oh, this this bar seems nice. Thanks for, you know, it's nice to meet up with you. Because, like, you, stuff you just have to do when mm-hmm. trying to make yourself seem like you're a normal human being. Yeah. And after 30 seconds, I was like, actually, I've talked to Aaron for, like, <laughs> yeah. hundred, hundreds of hours on chat and, I don't know, like 40 hours on recording, so. Well, and uh, I, I joke about
1: this all the time, but between recording the podcast and then uh, editing the podcast... Uh, and then listening to the edit of the podcast, uh, you you're probably besides my wife the voice I hear the most. So It's true. Yeah. It's very it's a very strange thing how it's, it's a very intimate relationship that you didn't it, you don't know you're going into once you start
0: podcasting with someone. Yeah, you're just like, eh, we'll just drink beers and talk and just talk about movies and then eventually you're like, "Does this work for your schedule? Is this too early for you and your family?" <laughs> yeah um <laughs> give me 10 more minutes yeah <laughs> but now it was a, it was a really great time and I can't wait for either me to go back to Minneapolis or uh, you to come visit uh, Chicago it'll be I think it'll be a, a great time but it's yeah'll it'll, it'll and
1: and if we if we do do something together again we'll try to do something for this podcast I don't know if anyone cares that we did or didn't do we didn't even take a picture for like our website that we have which we really should have done probably
0: <laughs> um, oh yeah we, we should have done that we should have done a lot of things it was funny is is gary and cole of duck Feed tv who was like a pod, uh, podcast network that we're really fond of they fly out and talk to each other and i think all the retro not guys record like i think the retro guys and the talking simpson guys just like when they can all meet up in one space is when they record all their podcasts but like for us we're like no, no 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 the way we record this is 500 miles apart when we're together we're not even recording five minutes but but yeah, it was a, it was a it was a blast. Um, yeah, I, I was glad that
1: because uh, Peter, I my my wife was watching our, our our kid, and but Peter had his girlfriend and his friends there, so it was
0: yeah, it was kind of a big gauntlet for you because yeah. you had to go, you had to pick the place and then meet with me and my girlfriend and two of my closest friends in the world, which is pretty uh I don't know ballsy. Yeah, you you had to go through. I I had a lot of comfort zones. Like I,
1: (laughs) yeah. If uh, yeah, if it went bad, you'd just be like, "Well, great meeting you. I'm gonna go hang out at this other bar now with these people. Enjoy (laughs) their company."
0: Um, And then you'd just be like alone and have to run away. Yeah, it was funny because like the whole time leading up, people they were making like Tinder jokes and like catfish jokes and I was like I'm sure he'll be normal right and they're like that's, that's what the catfish people say <laughs> yeah and my wife was like oh yeah when are you going
1: on your blind date again it's brutal well we never have to do that again no next time it'll just be normal normal hanging out Especially when you say it like that. Yep. <laughs> yep. Just be just be completely normal. Nothing <laughs> no, nothing weird here. Yeah. Everyone will wear pants. Um <laughs> uh nice. once again, yeah, no, we didn't even talk about the movie. We're doing we're doing species two. Do you
0: wanna start talking about species two? I'd love to start talking about species two, Aaron. decided to bring Species 2 onto the show uh, when we were doing the Alien Re-Invasion Month. So this is sort of an Alien Re-Invasion Month entry, as well as a nostalgia check for you. It is. Um, uh, we should
1: just rename the podcast uh, Stuff I Watch for the First Time in High School and I'm Watching Again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the podcast has pretty much just been a veiled excuse for me to watch shit that I used to love um, so far, so I don't see that changing. <laughs> yeah. um, Astronaut becomes... Uh, sex predator tries to have sex uh, gets murdered by people alright great 5 second I'm gonna do I'm
1: gonna do the 90 second
0: (laughs) this movie is like so dense your 90
1: second will be easier go okay Uh, possessed alien has sex with women they blow up (laughs) that was that was my 90 second one (laughs) I think that's the whole plot yep we're good okay leave it there Um, Uh, Yeah, yeah. it it really is that type of movie that doesn't... I mean, I don't know. uh, We will talk about some plot stuff as we get into this, but... uh that was kind of my, my pitch um, back in high school. So I saw this before uh, the original Species. And it came out right when I was 15, uh, and I rented it with a friend. It was before – I think this is even before I ever saw Mystery Science Theater 3000. And at no point was I doing the thing of, like, seeking out bad movies to watch. So this was like – but I was a big sci-fi nerd. So I was like, oh, this is going to be a sci-fi movie with, a, with an alien monster. And so I think I think this can honestly be the first thing I can think of that was both a terrible movie but something I fu- like I enjoyed every bit of it because it is it is it is so bad and so poorly done on every level but it's also like gross and exploitative and it goes to, it, it, it's just it's just a movie that just drips with constant excess and no idea what to do with that excess. And so I was just completely enamored. I was like, this is a terrible movie that I fucking love. And that was, I think, the first time I really felt that that kind of emotion. So I think, I think it was very soon after that I got into Mystery Science 2000*. 3000. Uh, that could be a whole other story at some point about how I was so late to that. Uh, fell in love with that and kind of got into that idea of, um, and we'll talk about this later, Not, I, I wouldn't say ironic enjoyment, but um, being able to enjoy a movie that's not good in the traditional sense, but has a lot of elements that still make it an enjoyable viewing experience for you. I went back uh, pretty quick after that, watched the, the first species, and that was a little bit more classy, I think a little bit better in the sense that it's a movie that has... <laughs> Um, an idea of what it wants to do. I think it fails at a lot of that. It's not without its good moments, but I think that you know, Species Two kind of transcends that rote uh, alien monster story and just becomes a complete film of batshit crazy excess. And and watching it again, no, I hadn't seen it. I, I watched it a few times, showed it to people. Like this is this is a movie that's bad but also good. You know that kind of like I'm the first person that has discovered that this can be these two these two ideas can coexist. Um, <laughs> But, uh, and then, you know, at some point it, it kind of went off my radar and yeah, rewatching it again for the first time, probably like 15 years. I, it didn't have the same magic as something like the room or Birdemic or something like that, but it still is, I think a very unique movie for a lot of reasons that we're going to get into. And it still is a absolutely terrible movie that I definitely am laughing at more than with, although it does have a few very funny lines that are supposed to be funny. Um... But it's again it's enjoyable. Like it's an hour and a half and it flies by. I, I still I still had a fun time with this
0: Yeah, my experience with the species movies is that I've never actually seen any of them but i was very much aware of them because i had an older brother who uh my older brother charlie got me into horror movies when i was a kid and he loved these movies or at least you watched them a lot i think maybe because the tna factor and the gore and all that yeah some
1: Uh, of this some some of this um i didn't think of it that way but i did i did think like you know this doing a podcast and this is a little bit like Hey, I want to talk about some porn I used to watch at 15 because it does have a little bit of that so- like there's a lot of nudity in this movie more than I even remembered.
0: Yeah, like it's like when the movie skirts skirts past either a murder scene or a nude scene, you're like that was weirdly tasteful. What are you going for here? Yeah. Um like there's a there's a there's like there could have been another 20 minutes of him murdering prostitutes and women at the strip club that the movie kind of just screams past cuz I think you film because everyone gets it. Yeah, we're we're there. Okay, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'd never seen them. But growing up, I'd saw like flashes of of it. So like, uh, I knew very much what the H.R. Geiger um, monster looked like, the actual alien. And uh, so yeah, so the, for the podcast, I actually watched one and then two back to back which i thought was going to do a huge disservice to species two but in the in the end it actually showed me sort of like with predator one and two that it's not just weird casual cash in on a structural level because on a structural level it's a very very different movie and i appreciated a lot of the changes both structural and stylistically aesthetically it feels like a very different movie um like you said the first one is way classier this one feels like it almost like a sci-fi movie that if sci-fi channel uh, could get away with more tits and ass. Well, and, if, and uh, it feels like a one that they gave a $35 million budget to, which is
1: $60 million. Yeah, the, yeah,
0: mean, yeah. That's, the budget that's fucking, shows that's and then it nuts. doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, the budget shows and then it doesn't show. Like, they use stock footage in certain sequences, and then they show you creature effects that are way, way more complicated and way more stunning than anything in the first movie. Oh, yeah. And it, and it's interesting and, and way these- less
1: CGI too. I mean, there are Ugh. there's one very like standout bad CGI moment uh, that actually is in the middle of uh, of of non CGI special effect moments that are great. But this one really, for 1998, like they dialed it way back on the CGI, and the budget went all into just fucking disgusting gross out effects that's
0: why it's so goddamn enjoyable yeah this movie reminds me a lot of and it feels more like the first one was was classy it, it retrospectively this one feels like a movie that veered into its campiness but it also like i hate to say it but like i don't know if i necessarily like it more than the first one but i hate to say it but it's like in many ways a more competent movie than the first one in terms of how scenes are laid out. As an overall movie, it is way more incompetent. It makes almost no sense on a plot level. But how scenes are shot are it, like is way more technically proficient. It's way more efficient. The framing in a lot of the scenes is actually a lot tighter and a lot more focused in a way that TV directors shoot stuff. It, there are shots that look straight out of like you know like a X Files or something. Actually, not X Files because X Files was rather aesthetically pleasing. Let's say like yeah. a, a higher budgeted sci-fi movie. What was that one Jerry
1: O'Connell show that people like? Sliders. <laughs>
0: It looks like sliders. sliders. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen sliders. That was the only other one that came to mind. I think sliders was one of those things that I was watching, like, the stand or something on uh, a sci-fi channel when i was a kid and then all and then they would like have these enormously huge commercial breaks and in these enormously huge commercial breaks they were having like five minute bits to tell me to watch sliders and i was like i don't want to watch this show take (laughs) Uh, me back to this boring stephen king religious parable
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and i so i actually i I rewatched the first one too um, and I think I think if I was to, and I hadn't seen that in a long time either, and I think if I was to, like, sum up both the movies, I would say the first one is a much better idea and a premise that's done poorly, and I think the second one is a terrible idea and a premise done well, if that makes yeah. sense.
0: Yeah, I think the first movie uh, is kind of in an, now that we have movies, so let's, let's sort of place this movie in terms of subgenre so wider genre it's it's a uh horror sci-fi movie it's got hr giger effects it's sort of positioning itself as sort of an alien movie where it's uh outwardly just a slasher movie with some some elements to it but under the skin oh man i just made a pun
1: oh fuck yeah uh, you celebrated uh, an accidental pun in the last episode. You get one per month.
0: <laughs> like you can make accidental puns, but you don't get to celebrate them. <laughs> but uh, so uh, under the skin, uh, it's it's trying to make some sort of clumsy comment on sexuality, and yeah, and an alien makes a more elegant, I guess, uh, comment on sexuality. So they're sort of under these this this broader domain of sci-fi horror movies that want to talk about gender issues uh obliquely and the subgenre is like under the skin thriller where uh an alien comes to earth that looks like humans and uses its sexuality to like uh, act as a succubus to draw in men and take something from them either uh they're just their life just for the pleasure of it or you know, their life essence in the case of life force in under the skin. I don't know what it's literally doing. Just their skin. TBD. Yeah. (laughs) Just their skin for experiments. If you place it within that subgenre of sexy aliens come to earth, species one feels kind of awkwardly positioned between the sort of beautiful minimalism and classiness that is under the skin and the um, campiness of like a life force or a species two or um, I, was, I was saying another one that's like sorta of fits in is Earth Girls Are Easy. They don't actually murder anybody, but they're. Sexy male aliens that come to Earth and seduce Gina Davis. That, you made that movie sound as unappealing as it possibly
1: as, <laughs> as it possibly be. <laughs> it's, why it's why would they do that to Indies? Gina
0: Davis? <laughs> it's a it's a sorry early two thousands comedy Central staple, and for some reason I've seen it nine thousand times. That's yeah, The only I, reason I felt like name dropping it. Anyways, I've so, never seen it. So I'm sort of ranting broadly, but Aaron, where do you sort of place Species One and Two uh, compared to? Um, those movies under the skin and life Force well i mean and- I, I think i think species one like tried to do something
1: and i don't You know, and we'll probably be talking a decent amount about Species 1 as well because we're probably never going to do it individually on the show, and and fuck, we both just watched it. Uh, So So if we do,
0: it'll be in a long time, yeah.
1: The first hour of that movie is pretty good and has some interesting things to say. And I actually like, again, it's another movie in the subgenre of, like, men are terrifying um, (laughs) because at no point really in the first half of the movie, especially, does Syl, Natasha Henstridge's character, like, she's just a confused alien who is 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 kind of learning what what it means to be alien and what it means to be human and just trying to like navigate the new world because she's been in a lab uh, for such a long time it, it's not till like basically uh, she she almost gets raped and uh, then she kills someone, then she starts to really—and and finds out that people are hunting her, that she kind of starts taking a more, uh, I think, uh, understandably negative view of humanity. But she still has a primal desire uh, to mate. So, I mean, you know, th- it has some interesting ideas. There's only one part that really irked me about the first one. Um, and in 1995 especially, I feel like it's almost— I, I kind of cringed watching these movies again and I think I mentioned this when we were talking about watching them. That's like Man, I haven't seen these in so long and they feel like a minefield of potential misogynistic or sexist things. And there really wasn't there really wasn't all that much. And and some of it's the stuff that is there a lot of time is there to mock the male characters. But but having said that, there were still a couple of those moments of like uh, Michael Madsen's character saying, this is what you get for making a girl. Like, it's not there to make Michael Madsen's character look stupid.
0: It's just, you know, that kind of casual sexism that, like, yep, she's crazy. Yeah, and it kind of ruins what could have been. I don't think that this movie could stand on the same ground as a... uh, Repulsion stands on a really clean ground as a feminist horror movie, I think. But this movie, uh, and more so the first could be argued as a sort of like feminist movie through a sort of oblique scope but i think you would have a really really tough battle to fight and a lot of that comes from a lot of this sort of side commentary that we get from our our heroes michael madsen who by the way is so sleepy in both of these movies like he is not a (laughs) michael madsen is not a leading man He's no, gave, he got so many yeah, opportunities he, he, to be, like, to be dad, a, uh, like
1: dad and free Willy was like his sweet spot.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he is, he's perfect in basically Tarantino movies where he gets to play a badass with like An aloof uh, badass. Yeah, aloof badass with some. Yeah, he gets to sort of make uh, grumpy faces and, uh, yeah, he, he's so sleepy in both these movies, but he makes a lot of this, these sort of like outwardly sexist comments. And like the first one I think could be defended as a sort of, it could, it could go either way. I think for a feminist interpretation of it, cause I think you could have it be like, okay, so this is a reversal of the fact that women feel like they're prey to men so often in, in our society. Well, and cause she, and men she, are so, yeah, but she's yeah. not even a prey. She, you know, I I think... No, 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 I'm saying it's it's a reversal because she's, she's She's, she's a woman that becomes a predator, sort of like Miss 45 or Repulsion. She gets beaten down by men so much that she realizes her inner power, and obviously that inner power is through means of violence, which opens up a whole other can of worms, but she realizes her inner power, and she becomes the predator to make men her prey like in in uh, in species the movie has a lot of sympathy for her right off the bat um, yeah. with when she's Mich- uh, Michelle Williams basically she gets attacked by a creepy hobo and then she murders the creepy hobo cuz i don't know he's got rape chuckles i don't know how to describe it um she's just afraid of him that she's gonna he's gonna hurt her somehow and then later uh she goes back to a guy's apartment to mate with him consensually and then he basically says like you're not going anywhere until i get what i want and then she murders him with her power and at that point you still have sympathy for her because you're like yeah you murdered a rapist and then it it's sort of Goes off the tracks as the movie goes on. Yeah, and, and the like, movie the loses. Last, at, yeah, the,
1: yeah, the the movie loses sympathy for her, and she just becomes just a straight villain, especially at the end, and kind of and a scheming villain, which is very weird to make an alien character. We and that's why I think I said that like the first movie is a really good idea done poorly. Like it's a good enough idea conceptually. That oh, the good, bones of the movie are great. Yeah, yeah. so that's that. There's a lot of good stuff, even though everything is basically mishandled. Um, and 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 these these feminist parts. They're too few and infrequent. And if they would have uh, made the movie about that, it would have been I think a much better remembered movie in yeah. general. And and they but yeah. they didn't. They sprinkled in they sprinkled in some casual uh, misogyny, they, you know, and, and they they just and they and then they went completely off the rail in a third act that is so bland. And and the second movie has one scene which I want to talk about a little bit later that I completely forgot about that is uh, troubling Um, in a kind of a different way. But I don't think the second movie is trying to be anything more than... To be honest, I'm not entirely sure what the second
0: movie is trying to be. It's It's so much more exploitational. The first one has accidental male gaze stuff, I think. The second one has outright male gaze, like just shots that could be in a porno almost. Yeah, or like a
1: late-night Cinemax movie. Um, I, yeah. b- before we get into that stuff, though, I, I want to take a step back and talk about the idea, because you know we, we haven't really done one of these movies. I think that most of the movies that we have done could be described as a level of competent... Like, there was some stuff that's we're talking about or some stuff that was goofy or cheesy, but I think this is the first movie that we're talking about from the sense that, like, I don't think either of us would say this is a good movie. Like, this is a really bad movie. Movie on every level, I think, for the most part. But it's, in terms of execution, yeah, it's yeah, very enjoyable. That's what I'm talking about. You know, I think a lot of people, a lot of times, have a conversations or have conversations about the, the the idea of ironic enjoyment of a movie we don't believe in that concept like if you're ironically enjoying something or like hate watching that you're really like not enjoying it this and other movies of that are that have this level of incompetence but are enjoyable to watch like i don't see any difference between the enjoyment i get from this or something that more objectively a better movie from dialogue to acting to anything else I'm probably going to be laughing at this movie a lot as we talk about it but I really do like this movie and I I don't really feel bad about laughing at it because it's a it's a big budget picture it's 35 million I'm not I'm not laughing at someone's like you know Uh, personal artistic vision and going ha 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 this is a really stupid movie with a lot of stupid decisions but i've probably seen it 15 20 times because it's it's fun it's just not fun for the necessarily the reason that probably the creator um intended this movie is so it's hilarious that this movie got this budget which is like 60 million dollars in 1998 which is huge i mean 35 million 60, 60 million today the fact that they thought to release this to theaters, the fact that they thought like this was worth doing, and the fact that after everyone hated it, the director of this movie thought that the reason that people hated it was because they didn't follow up on the, uh, the, the, the fact that the rat from... So at the end of the first one, uh, the alien DNA gets into a rat and he turns into a mutant rat and kills another rat, and the director of Species 2... Thought that the reason that people didn't like the movie was because everyone was really wa- wondering what was going to happen with that rat, and he didn't follow up on it. That is fucking hilarious. That that I don't know who. First of all, who who was like it's 1995. Who was like God, I can't wait to see what they do with that rat. Like that's a terrible ending. First of all to that
0: movie. The whole last third of the first movie yeah. is is garbage. Uh, that just speaks to how misguided the second movie is. Yeah. yeah, and I think that the campiness of it can lead to a lot of just yeah, ironic bullshit reactions to the movie and I really that's one thing that we don't want the podcast to become because we're going to take a lot of movies that people consider bad and just sort of like hand wave away to the garbage pile the way i react to these sort of things where you're like oh well yeah it's a bad movie but you know i'm ironically enjoying it is that i'm like oh so you're just enjoying it because you feel like you're better than the movie it comes from a place of elitism which i think is a really shitty way to engage with art in general yeah and and i think like another uh, another lesson that you might learn from that on the flip side is that maybe technical proficiency or the classical definitions of what is good don't matter as much as you might think. Something being cheesy or campy is not necessarily a slag if it gels with the whole. Like, your your concept of, of what is a, a good movie can be remarkably conservative. And I wouldn't say that this is a good movie. I'd say it's a very poorly executed movie that gains a lot of its, its joys from how unpredictably insane it is. I'd say Life Force is actually a well-executed movie that feels like it was made by a madman. Yeah, I say that this movie is a shoddily executed movie, at best competently executed movie that feels like nine different movies stitched together uh, in a way that doesn't always charm, but is always entertaining.
1: Yeah, and I've seen this movie more than fucking Citizen Kane and Casablanca combined. Like,
0: (laughs) you know, uh, those
1: are objectively better movies. I love those movies, but... You know, at some point if you watch a movie and go, Man, that was a blast and that was fun, you know, not everything needs to be a, a work of art and like you can have a shit ton of fun on a roller coaster and uh, yeah. not go not go, Oh my gosh, a genius made that that way that one <laughs> loop de looped. Like That's that's the same type of enjoyment I I get from this, and it's it's at the end of the day if I if I walk out of a movie or stop a movie and go that was a fucking blast. That's why movies exist for the most part.
0: They're supposed to be uh, fun experiences. They're supposed to or unique experiences. They don't necessarily have to all follow. Uh, sort of conventions of how films should be made. And, and and this movie I think was a fun one to bring on because it's it's going to be challenging. I've already sort of struggled with it. It's going to be challenging. to Talk about why I enjoyed it. When I sold people on this movie, I never said, you need to watch this. This is so stupid.
1: It was, you need to watch this. This is crazy. Or this is a blast. And I think that there is a difference between those two. Some of what makes it that much fun is how poorly conceived some of the ideas and characterizations are. But if I ever met anyone involved with this movie, I would thank them. Because they—they they, this movie brought joy to my life and not ironic joy.
0: I think that one way that we react to it with laughing is because films are primarily a form of communication, right? All media kind of works as a form of communication whether it's communicating broad ideas or small ideas. When any form of communication breaks the rules of how we've generally accepted those rules are our reaction is to laugh because it just comes across like nonsense. If it's just like little misunderstandings of how film works, like the happening there's just like little miscalculations in the happening that happen in every single scene and you're just like it feels like someone who never saw a movie but read about them in textbooks like (laughs) that can be very funny because you're like oh it's just slightly skewed off from what a good movie would be Like, the happening is very interesting on that front.
1: Let's be extremely excessive with everything. Even if it doesn't make sense, let's just take everything to 11. Um, And I think that does, you know, not to belabor the metaphor, but you mentioned the laughing. Like, people laugh on roller coasters, too, because laughing is also something you do when you're having an extreme level of fun. Uh, Yeah. It's not, no no one's laughing on a roller coaster because they're like, this is hilarious. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Like, this is so funny how fast I'm moving in this little cart. Like, that's, we probably went on too long about that, but I, but I feel like it's important, even when we're discussing a movie that is pretty objectively bad, like this one, uh, in, in a lot of ways that film normally is, I don't want this to become a bad movie podcast where we're just shitting on something. Like, laughing about something and shitting on something still feels like two different things. So, I feel like we've probably dug that, that point into the ground, but... But I feel like it's important because I don't want people to think that we're not engaging with it on its level. I think we are. I think that level is just really low there. So, anyways, I want to get your take on this. Like, the fact that this was, I I mentioned this before, but the fact that this was a big-budget studio film uh, with some some pretty good, if not A-list, then B-list cast members, both of them. But, but more for the second one, this feels like at the very least you can appreciate this movie at how unique that it exists in this form at all.
0: Yeah. They basically got a chance to make another sequel with a, uh, a big budget again. They got two of the main principal cast back. They got a couple big name actors and they're still, or at least TV actors. It's kind of remarkable that like they did a uh, Terminator 2 thing where they brought back the villain of the first movie. Uh, as a good guy, Natasha Henstridge dies at the end of the first one and they brought her back as a clone, um, which in universe actually makes sense. <laughs> uh, which is like. One of the, one of the few things that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, unlike in like A Better Tomorrow and A Better Tomorrow 2, when they're like. When Chai Yun Fat became a huge star between the two movies so they had to bring him back for 2 despite the fact that he gets gunned down mercilessly in the first movie and they bring him back as his cousin. I'm like that's that is nonsense. And this it's like, well, they made the first one in a lab, they can make another one with different methods. Well,
1: they 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 even talk about how in the first one that they had two other uh, viable human embryos that they froze. You know, in theory that they 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 probably didn't mean it like that in the first one, but that's one of the few connecting lines between the first and the second one. Is that yeah, there was this clone sitting around, and everyone was aware of it from the first movie. The the part the connecting tissue that doesn't work is everything else. And the the main one I want to talk about there is uh, like I think the first one's um, idea of how the alien invasion worked is super fucking interesting. Uh, it's not always executed great, but this idea that the aliens sent a capsule first. And the first thing they sent is basically a formula that gives them unlimited energy. The government's keeping it under wraps, but it's basically like, holy shit, what a bunch of friendly aliens. And then the second capsule is just instructions on combining DNA to make, you know, a more peaceful civilization. And then it turns out to be this human virus that is, I mean, again, the the logistics for how it's going to wipe out um, the human race uh, on any level isn't great. But especially how easy it kind of ultimately ends up being to to kill it. But I think the idea of an alien species sending, like, here's here's all these gifts, here's all this stuff, and then kind of oh, and here's this other thing we're doing, and it's this way to like wipe out humanity. I think that's very interesting. It's probably it's probably a ripoff of something the Twilight Zone did, but it, it still felt like, oh, that's a cool way to take this. The second one is just There's black goo on Mars?
0: Yeah, I didn't understand that at all. Because I think in the first movie, like I said, the bones of the first movie really work. They have these sort of really interesting sci-fi ideas that the aliens are sort of communicating in this way and giving us instructions to our own destruction. Then uh, the movie sort of goes from there to show how you know human incompetence led from A to B to C, sort of like a Twilight Zone episode, like classic sci-fi. The second one is just like incident upon incident with very little connective tissue. You're like, oh, well, I guess these test tubes were in space and they escaped from the space pod and then they infect these astronauts. But not all the astronauts, but the third astronaut still passed out despite the fact that the alien couldn't infect him. Yeah, and why?
1: Why does the blood crawl around and create weird uh, alien monster
0: appendages? Because, because somebody was really into the thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, think, the, I think that the, what's interesting they have about two, movie, they have two thing scenes. They have that one, and then yeah. they have
1: oh, no three because they have. Yeah, there, there's actually yeah, there's three. Uh, before we get too far, though, I do have to say. Uh, do you do you wanna form uh, a heavy metal band so that our first album can be called Instructions for Our Own Destruction? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just like it was- <laughs> I, I'm gonna learn to play instruments just Because that's too good. I don't know where you came up with that, Peter, but if someone doesn't release an album called Instructions for Our Own Destruction in the next year, I'm going to be wildly disappointed.
0: (laughs) It sounds like either a metal album or something Johnny Cochran said during the OJ trial. (laughs) (laughs) Did you
1: recently watch OJ Made in America? Now you're just speaking in Cochranisms and don't know it.
0: It worked for him. Why wouldn't it work for me? So If I kinda, the blood I, doesn't fit, your throat, it will slit. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, a little rant on this movie and the thing. One of the problems with this movie, and one of the reasons that it's so insane, is that they don't set hard rules for its own alien species. No there's two types of aliens in the movie there's eve which is the new version of Syl, which we sort of understand her capabilities if only if you've seen the first movie so she's half human half alien species and then there's the astronauts which get infected by some sort of alien strain as a parasite and it sort of has receding control over the person like the person has control and then the person doesn't have control does it
1: though that that is so wildly unclear yeah um (laughs) about who and when people have control like yeah that's one of the things I find very humorous because first of all the actor has no way of delineating between when he's human like he just has the same psychotic (laughs) stare at all times he's basically playing Robert Patrick as the T-1000 yeah it's true and so I, I st- you know, I, I still go back and forth and is, is he ever human anymore? Because, I mean, he <laughs> so says he, he is,
0: but it, 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 it just feels like he's just always this alien thing. I think that they, on a base level, on a conceptual level, it could have been really creepy to have it act as sort of a possession thriller where he has his facilities and then he loses them and then he gets them back and, and, and he's sort of like you don't know which way it's going to go the, the the Last Exorcism is a really great found footage movie um, from a bunch of years ago and it, it plays with that concept really well that she's she feels fine in the morning and then at night she's a demon like she's terrifying and then in the morning she's sweet and fine like I, it really does that sort of uh, schizophrenic dichotomy Does the actress in that
1: movie try to uh, change her performance to to fit when she's possessed.
0: Oh wait, it worked. Yeah, it worked because they fit an actual actress in the role. Yeah, that's it.
1: Th- this, he just has the ten thousand yard stare at
0: all times. <laughs> like and he's either got a ten thousand yard stare that he's sad or because uh, it, it's all yeah he's got the same stare and, and it's his frown either goes uh, up or down. And that shows you whether or not he's turned on or about to murder somebody because those are his only two emotions in the movie. If you noticed a
1: frown turning upside down, even when he was about to have sex, you're more detail-oriented watcher than myself, Peter, oh, because I'm, I'm,
0: I noticed no difference between those. Oh, I'm like Forrest Whitaker in the first one. I'm an empath.
1: <laughs> yeah. Him was, uh, him talking to his dad, played by a James Cromwell who's actually giving a shit in this movie right after Babe, which is kind of awesome.
0: And Ellie uh, Confidential. Like, what
1: the fuck is going on james cromwell yeah um and he but he's like he's unlike some people like i don't think ben kingsley gives eight shits about the first species that he's in 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 my in my opinion uh he's definitely phoning it in
0: cromwell he's fucking giving it he's he's really he's doing what he needs to do he pulls out his i'll do anything to protect my son and you're like wow why do you want to protect your son he's a dead-eyed lunatic yeah um, yeah, but he's, he, he sells it. Um, I think it was a misstep
1: for, for him to say, uh, that'll do, Alien. But.
0: <laughs> so do you mind if I kind of double back? on the, Yeah, sorry. The, they, so they, no, 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 no. So they don't set up any sort of internal logic to how these rules work, which I think is something that needs to happen in sci-fi movies. I think that, that one of the biggest reasons the MCU works is that they've set up uh, internal limitations to what uh, their powers can do. When you just have a villain that can just hold out powers of their ass whenever they want, it loses a lot of dramatic focus because you're not seeing a sort of chess game where the good guys take a step forward and the, the bad guys take a step forward. and like It's more fun to watch the heroes check each other with, with moves rather than um, just have the villains just be like, now I can do this, now I can do this. And this movie is just like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if... Which... Yeah, yeah. In the past year, I've watched one one horrible, one just okay uh, Thing riffs, which The Thing is my favorite movie in the world, so I'll watch any sort of riff on it. There's a really great X-Files episode called Ice. That's, I think, first or second season. That's a pretty good thing riff that i think has a good internal logic and holds to a set of rules there's one called blood glacier that came out recently that i thought was just okay but mostly bad and there's one called harbinger down which is like horrible part of the reason blood glacier and harbinger down fail so much compared to the thing isn't because you know it doesn't have that great anymore kone score and it isn't because it doesn't have kurt russell those are great things to have in your movie but it's because they don't have internal logic so it's just like creature effects set pieces jammed up one against the other over and over and over again. This movie has a lot of thing riffs and a couple riffs that kind of remind me of the brood, but I doubt Peter Medak is actually pulling from the brood. And it just feels like they're just whipping out just shit after shit, which actually is, for some reason is charming in this movie. I don't know, Aaron, what do you it, it, Yeah, it is absolutely charming. It feels like, feels like what happened was
1: every scene they had different groups of 10 to 12 year olds write, then they put all of that together into a movie because everything is kind of like hey wouldn't it be cool if this happened in this movie and it, without any script supervisor going well that makes no sense to what just <laughs> happened earlier it's like yeah but wouldn't it be cool though if it happened and you know what in most cases they were right it was cool that that happened even if if it makes no fucking sense like part of the movie i really like it's 20 minutes to the end of the movie and patrick is that's that's when james cromwell's like i'm gonna protect you whatever it takes son and patrick uh hugs his dad and then all of a sudden tentacles isn't the right word i don't know like his space slugs slug? I don't. I have no idea what the, they were, but they they burst out of his stomach, punch him through his stomach, and then he, he dies. And it's like, when did he have space slugs in his chest? Uh, yeah. and, and the answer is, he never did. You know what? It's it's awesome that that happens. <laughs> like in the moment, it's great. Even if it makes no fucking sense that now he has that.
0: The, the movie has... Is, is, we could just talk about that right now. The movie has variable rules for what the fuck is happening. Like, he... So, okay, so this guy, this astronaut comes to Earth, and he uh, is sort of being taken by this need to have sex and get women pregnant. And he's more dangerous because he's a man, so he doesn't have to have a, a pregnancy period at any downtime. He can just go and impregnate, you know, a thousand women. Uh, one of the funny sort of jokes about that is that he's basically uh he exists in a universe where when astronauts come back and maybe it's this universe when astronauts come back people just want to plow them like all the time well (laughs) and and all the astronauts want to plow like that's all they want to do
1: um there's three astronauts in the woman's like i gotta wait 10 days and it's like it's only a sex quarantine the next night they're at that fucking dinner in the honor of the astronauts after they get home but the doctor only is like yeah no it's fine go around be be around everyone immediately you just got back from Mars just don't have sex with anyone because I'm assuming that you stuck your dick somewhere into the red planet Um, and we don't want we want to give that 10 days and the doctor's a sleazy fucking this movie's so goddamn horny uh, the doctor's Everybody like, in the I, movie I is
0: getting getting down.
1: Yeah, the, the doctor's like, hey, member <laughs> I know you guys are going to want to have some sex, but no sex. Look at this room full of women. <laughs> like, they all yeah. want to have sex with you, but you can't.
0: Uh, poor you. Yeah, it's, it's pretty hilarious. So there's just, like, the, the, the black guy, uh, his name is Dennis Gamble in the movie. I had to look that up because um, there's not that many memorable characters. The black guy has all sorts of, like uh, – Like comments that I'm trying to decide if like are racist or not. They're super (laughs) racist. I I they've gotta be, right? This like it's playing off a stereotype that black dudes are just like sexually voracious and like can't go three seconds without hitting on a woman. Like that's the the deal, right? (laughs) you had any question
1: about it near the end of the movie when oh, him God. and Michael Manson are arming up. He no. grabs a machete and says no. like I actually didn't write down the quote because I was like Oh I, I did. I was
0: like oh good because I was like <laughs> you know what I don't even want to fucking talk about he this. He says I'm about, I'm about to go back to Africa on somebody's ass. After he this? grabs a machete after you guys, a machete. Ugh. Okay, so let's go back a couple steps. Um, <laughs> racist character that's supposed to be sort of a comic relief. So it's basically making a black man and black man into a clown and it's he's got all sorts of stereotypes. I mean, I guess he's a scientist and an astronaut, so it's like good on them that they made him into someone who's smart. But then they, but, give, but him, they like, give
1: him latent sickle cell anemia.
0: Yeah, they did give him sickle cell anemia. He's a bundle of regressive stereotypes and, like, one progressive one. I hope he uh, had some words with the director, like, can we not do this line? And he's like, ha, 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 no. No. Uh, which is funny because the director Peter Medak, he's um, a pretty terrific TV director. Well, and he, directed, he did he did two
1: movies that people love. Like I haven't seen either of them, but The Ruling Class that's in the Criterion Collection. People really like it uh, with Peter O'Toole, and then uh, The Changeling with uh, Georgie
0: Scott, which people talk about all the time. Is this great horror movie that you haven't seen? he also did Romeo's Bleeding, which is a really terrific crime movie. And but more importantly, Peter Medak did. The Wire, and uh, Homicide Life on the Street. Um, He also did Hannibal later, which shows that he can, in fact, direct a really awesome horror movie. Um, Hannibal the TV series, I guess. Um, He has experience dealing with race issues in really delicate and elegant ways in his TV work. And yet, we get this sort of, like, cartoony black character that feels like he's out of like a 70s buddy movie right? well, where he should yeah, have like an yeah. he should have like an afro and say like can you dig it like it feels like he, it's just so regressive and so backwards it's just like era did they write the script and that did they manage to write this one black character 30 years before the movie was even this is probably the
1: director's like hollow man where i have to believe that like he didn't understand the script because he's not from this country yeah, <laughs> like, he, he directed the fuck out of what was there, but he was like, "Cause that's kind of my." I don't think that Paul uh, Verhoeven didn't uh, didn't understand Hollow Man, but like that was where his excessiveness went to. Okay, this you went way too far. This is you just made a rape movie.
0: Yeah, um, Hollow Man's one of the few movies I've ever watched that I've turned off. Uh,
1: yeah, I fucking hated it when I saw it in theaters, and I never I saw, thought
0: to watch it again. Um, I, I saw it like nine months ago, and I I love Paul Verhoeven generally, and yeah. that put a real a real capper on uh, my Paul Verhoeven uh, binge that I was on. Yeah, my
1: overgenerous read is that Paul Verhoeven didn't understand because English is not his first language, he didn't understand uh, what why why bad. Bad Paul Verhoeven. And I I hope that's in some ways the case here cuz he directs the fuck out of it, but yeah, it's like
0: not not cool. But yeah, Aaron, you wanted to circle back on something.
1: Yeah, so the um the other besides besides the making the the black astronaut a terrible racist character on every level. Uh, the, other, the other problem I had with this movie uh, was one very specific scene that I'd completely forgotten about, um, which is the scene where... Uh, uh, I've already forgotten his name again. Patrick is a scene where Patrick is—that's how forgettable he is. Um, where Patrick is running out of the grocery store and he kidnaps a woman that he's hitting on because he's being pursued by uh, by the by Michael Madsen, his team, and he takes her into a van. And instead of like trying to drive off or run away, like he decides, I'm just going to rape her in this van, which again, unnecessary in a movie where people, like you could be, it was unnecessary in this kind of exploitation movie where people are literally throwing themselves at him because he's this... Good-looking astronaut who's "quote-unquote" gonna be president someday with all of his <laughs> charisma. Um, <laughs> um, he looks at Ted Cruz and is like, "That is a charismatic guy. That's how charismatic Patrick <laughs> is, future future president Patrick." He takes her into the car and decides to start uh, raping her, or tries to rape her. He never actually succeeds; never gets any clothes off, which is, is at least something positive, and escapes. However, they the movie decides to play that into a fucking. Awful, gross, terrible joke. Where they are looking for a van, and they notice because uh, he go, because he takes the girl into this black, unmarked van, windowless van, and and so they find another van that's rocking violently, and and like bust the bust the window of the van with their gun, and like get out, and they open the van doors in this, and it happens to be another identical black windowless van in this. Uh, grocery store parking lot where two teenagers have decided to have sex and then Michael Madsen uh, looks at the other astronaut and is like hmm, whoops <laughs> so funny and then they just leave yeah. like re- really and, and like it's like again they didn't even need to do the attempted rape scene that was wild unnecessary he could have kidnapped her he could have just run um, but it feels like the whole scene is there for for that joke that like, whoops, wrong wrong van. This isn't the one that's having the rape committed in it. It's just two
0: horny teenagers. Uh, it's it's so horrible. They basically have this, this comedic moment, but for the audience, there is a rape still hanging over our heads. Yeah. Yeah, she hasn't escaped yet. Like, it's yeah. like fucking go find the right van. And, and I was watching a little bit with my girlfriend and she turned to me when they're they're sort of approaching the parking lot. They're not running, mind you. They're just kind of uh, sauntering in because Michael Madsen can't even be bothered to run in this <laughs> no. movie. They're kind of just hanging out. My girlfriend was like, these are the worst cops ever. And it's terrible because it's a joke in the middle of one of the worst things happening on many levels. It's our villain is impregnating a, like a plot level. Yes. Like, cause it's our villain is impregnating a woman to create more in this sort of brood of alien babies that he's, you know, going to start Uh, a new world uh, order, a new invasion with. So, A, like this is kicking off one of the worst uh, things that could ever happen in the human race, and B, on an individual level, a woman is about to be raped by an alien and torn apart by this tentacle monster thing it's so aggressively unfunny and so not fun that it's one of the few scenes in the movie where i was like there's there's a couple scenes in the movie like that that almost sour the deal for me where the first one i don't think really had that many scenes like that that made me actively uncomfortable like that because usually it's a, a it was woman just it, it was it. just lines like certain lines
1: were like damn it
0: yeah. It's you guys lines. could have
1: had something interesting feminist uh, here instead or like just making terribly dated like women are crazy jokes, you know,
0: which turns it into not a, a, a you know, femininity is powerful statement. It turns it into a women are, are succubuses, you know, but where the feminine wilds? Because it'll bring you in and it becomes something regressive. That would be my Take more on the yeah. movies I don't I was watching them like Oh maybe these movies Are like actually feminist Because the first one Starts very sympathetic To the alien And then by the end It's just a totally Different movie Yeah uh, uh, But yeah the, the, the rape scene And then a later moment Involving the big alien battle Between Eve And, uh, and Patrick Um made me aggressively uncomfortable. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that later, though. And it's too bad because um, I actually think this movie is unintentionally
1: funny. The movie is also, I think, very intentionally funny at times. If they're not meaning to be funny, then, I, then someone's a secret genius, uh, you know, in a weird way that doesn't understand humans, because the fact that that grocery store scene is soured by the ending— Like I think that's one of the funny scenes in the movie because he meets this girl and he's signing. They're tracking him through because Eve has a psychic connection now to Patrick. They're tracking him in this grocery store because uh, Eve can see what they're doing. And so the first thing Patrick does when he gets in the grocery store is he's trying to find a girl, but he he meets uh, this this woman and he signs her box of Space Flakes, which even though he just got back from space a week ago, he's on the cover of Space Flakes. (laughs) I suppose, but like... I, I can't believe that anyone who came up with space flakes didn't think that that was purposely funny, and also uh, my other my my absolute favorite funny part in this movie is they when they're trying to find him in the cereal aisle because that's where Eve tells uh, Michael Matson, uh, Michael Matson goes up to a cashier and says where's the cereal aisle and points a gun at the cashier or the the, the bag boy and goes, "Where's the fucking cereal aisle?" <laughs> like that that's like and then and then lowers his gun slowly at him, which is which is very funny. And there's a lot of funny lines that if they're supposed to be serious, they failed, but I don't believe for a second that a line like "Bear us the alien rights agenda, put her in the cyclotron" is meant to be serious. <laughs> oh, I love that line. <laughs> and I also think that the movie has little moments where it's trying to comment about how on the male gaze. I, th- the first time we see Eve in this movie, they're experimenting different like acidic poisons on her. She's in like this. She's basically naked. You don't see any um, some nudity, but she's like in this seatbelt that kind of covers all of her, all of her naughty bits. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first time you see Eve, and then they throw a bunch of like acid on her. And there's all these men watching, and she gets all these welts all over her body, which is, like, your first kind of exposure to any sort of, like, uh, naked flesh in this movie. And it's all gross and bubbly, all these men and these generals who are, like, clapping and applauding that, that she has all these gross... And that, that almost feels like me, like, in a in a smarter movie, and maybe that's what they were going for and just failed. But it kind of feels like that is a comment, like, on that how gross... It is that these men are just kind of watching and like, has her in this cage, basically have her dressed in this weird outfit that she's basically naked and vulnerable and you think yeah. I'm off base on, on whether some of this stuff was intentionally funny or trying to make bigger intentional points
0: there are little hints at a broader satire that could have happened but a lot of the like a lot of the jokes are just like face level cheesy bad 90s jokes pop culture references sort of bad jokes like uh, Eve escapes from the facility late in the movie and uh, someone says how does she know how to drive and the scientist says her favorite show is The Dukes of Hazzard, which is, like, approaching a joke. <laughs> it's just so... There's a lot of jokes like that in the movie. I mostly remember the jokes like that where you're like, this is supposed to be, like, a face-level, just, like, haha joke. Um, but, but even the reference to the X-Files almost
1: feels like... Because at one point, they're talking about, like, how the alien's DNA could have affected people. And they're like... And the the general is like, this isn't the, the X-Files, damn it. And Yeah, the whole general I, is... Yeah. I feel like that is a smarter joke because if it's not, I again I don't know how you they couldn't be self-aware because the, the it starts with aliens infecting people through black oil. Like the which is exactly what happened in the fucking X-Files. It's this it's almost the exact same looking a uh, black substance that is mm-hmm. then imparting alien DNA. So, I think this movie for the most part has a bunch of unself-aware terrible attempts at humor but there are these little moments that is like if if that isn't self-aware if the if the don't give me the alien rights agenda put her in the cyclotron isn't self-aware or if the fact that the first time you basically see any hint of nudity it's gross men clapping at a girl with a woman or a woman with like welts all over her body like i don't know i get the suspicion that there's that 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 there's there's something there's something more self-aware than I ever gave
0: it credit for before. Um, I disagree. <laughs> I disagree overall because I feel like there are little. I think, but I do think that there are little little hints of what you're talking about. Like there was a subversive movie in there somewhere, where like the general is so broadly painted, like he's a big fat dude that barely fits into his his uh, you know uh, admiral uniform or whatever, um, with just covered in medals. He barely fits into that uniform. He's got this dumb buzz cut. He's like a very purposefully one note character that just like wants to visit violence and pain on everybody he's got a scar like a battle scar across one of his eyes like he is so patently evil from the first moment we meet him which is the 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 welts scene and so like i feel like yeah there's little hints that he like he's a hint that there might have been something more subversive like more robocop level going on but so many of the straight ahead jokes don't feel like there's any winking to it. And I yeah, don't yeah. know if they're and I don't know if they're Yeah, there's 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 some satiric stuff in there, but I just don't I, I just don't think there's enough of it to make an argument.
1: Oh, I agree hundred percent. The movie as a whole does not possess that. This is just I mean, this this comes from watching it a lot of times. That I noticed to say that it's all misguided and stupid humor and not self aware seemed incorrect to me upon this rewatch. Like I don't think that the movie as a whole is I agree with you 100%. They're, they are so few and far between. They're either accidental moments. You know when you when you make 100 stupid jokes, one of them accidentally ends up being subversive maybe or or there's a hint of a, like a better screenplay that existed at some point.
0: Yeah, and I think that both, like I said about Species One, I think both of these movies have the the bones and the structure of being something really subversive and really clever. And what's funny about it is that the first movie... um, has uh, a scene where Asil has been liberated and is on the streets of downtown LA and goes to buy a wedding dress with whatever <laughs> money she's stolen and, bucks. yeah it hints at um, what could have been a very different movie which is basically a alien comes to town as is like a fish out of water comedy and I almost feel like these movies would have been better either as a RoboCop level straight faced satire or fish out of water comedy about an evil alien on the loose. You know, we talk sometimes about movies that are like uh,
1: our remake culture and that people should remake movies that were, like, not quite good. They had an interesting concept but weren't good enough that anyone's going to be like, you've destroyed my memory of this perfect original. Come, now, that, now that we're talking about, like, these movies seem, like, ripe for, for some version of a remake that leans more heavily into uh,
0: some sort of point in general and maybe uh, satire- Uh, as well. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Under the Skin is sort of a... uh, I think the book was written well before Species, but Under the Skin feels like sort of a... Let's make a artful version of this sort of exploitative, poorly functioning. Let's make something respectable out of this meal, which I think is what all remakes should do, right? Like, that's why I really like the fact that, like, Nicholas Winding Reffin is going to remake a bunch of old exploitation movies. Yeah. He's basically saying, like, these aren't beloved, and I think that they're great, but I want to, I think, that riff on them in really interesting ways. And I think that, yeah, you can make something really respectable. Respectable out of these old exploitation movies, and see, see what what you get.
1: What's especially funny—this uh, is more for the first Aliens, but a little bit of the second Aliens too—is that you could remake *Feces* as like this artful movie and uh, prestige picture, and have the exact same cast. That's true, and, and, and everyone would go, "Oh, look at all these Academy Award nominees um, all together in this this artful take on um,
0: what it means to be a, um, a woman." out of place in the world yeah it's true the first movie had an insane cast and this movie it retains a couple it has a couple people most of them most of the the interesting cast members like Peter Boyle are uh tv actors character actors but like the first movie had Forrest Whitaker Ben Kingsley like the first movie had actual actors at the top of their game. Natasha Henstridge, I think, gives a, a wonderful perf- wonderful performance in um, more or less both movies. Uh, she I think she's even sh- better in the second one, actually. I, she gets a lot of shit for being sort of a flat actress, which I think is really unfair. In this movie and the first one, she's got a really great ability to modulate when she's trying to be like, you know, sort of a cold alien. She's really great at it. She just basically turns on, you know, model Natasha mm-hmm. and then when she has to show some emotion and, and seem really hurt by something it feels real like I, I I think that calling her a bad actress is kind of unfair we're gonna do Ghost of Mars someday and I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a defense of her performance even in that
1: yeah she uh it was disappointing to look at her because I it you know watching these movies i was like what happened to her and she really has just completely disappeared and that is wildly unfortunate because i mean she wasn't in much that i saw but i always enjoyed her
0: the whole nine yards even if she's at least happily drinking wine on a beach somewhere like i hope she's not like trying to get back into acting and not and not happening yeah i think she's done a
1: couple tv things it's one of those one of those like you were so big for 10 years but then you turn 30 and Hollywood is a piece of garbage.
0: Yeah, um, exactly. She's she all she can really do then is like she can maybe be on one of the like NCIS teams. <laughs> Like yeah. that's the only place for aging women, and and that's one of the reasons I do I don't totally hate CSI and NCIS, is it feels like they sometimes have a place for like aging women. You know, not to not to dramatically change subjects,
1: but as long as, we, as long as we as long as we talked about Peter Boyle, I do want to mention this. Um, I was gonna save this for like a stray scene thing, but he came up. So I saw Species Two before Species One. If you had done the same thing, Peter Boyle and the General really seemed like they were in that first movie. <laughs> And, oh, the yeah. and when I watched the first one, I'm like, where the fuck are these guys? Because Peter Boyle is like set up as like this. Uh, now, and, and I wonder again if they were supposed to be surviving cast members from the first movie. Like the general was Ben Kingsley's character, and uh, who, you know, maybe Peter Boyle is Forrest Whittaker's character. Um, I can't even remember if he survived that movie, and I just watched it two days ago. Um, but uh, maybe that's what it was supposed to be, and they switched them. But every indication is that those, if you just watch this one first, that those two were in the first movie. And nope,
0: they are not. Yeah. the Peter Boyle seems like he is was a scientist in the first movie that, you know, after the events of the first movie went insane and they had to lock him up because nobody believed him because the government covered it up. Like, yep. that is a trope. You come back from the sequel <laughs> yep. and Linda Hamilton is now in, yep. in an insane asylum. Like... And their reasoning when they finally explain what the
1: fuck he's doing there is also hilarious because all of a sudden they're adding they add so much unnecessary mythology when they already had a mythology. and they're like, "Yep, that you remember that comment that crashed in Antarctica? We found alien fossils. <laughs> and that's why they locked me up. It's like, what? Why did they lock you up for that? Like, God. what does that have to do with anything? And the general, I forget the actor and the character's name, but he heavily implies to Michael Madsen that he got he lost his eye and got the scar from the alien, and he wasn't in that movie. It's so weird. I love it. Like, again, that's this is that stuff that I, I love it, though, because it just... It speaks to a movie that is kind of like untethered from reality in some ways. And it's it's it adds a level of hilarity to because, um, you know, that you don't get. Like I said, watching the first watching the second one first, I spent the whole first movie wondering when the fuck Peter Boyle and the general were
0: going to show up. Oh, yeah. They're, they just they're, didn't. They're created out of whole cloth for the second one. It's so yeah. strange. But yeah, the the coming back for the sequel it's weird because the movie would function cleaner as a movie if Natasha Henstridge weren't in the movie and it were just about trying to stop this time a male alien mm-hmm. um, who's on the hunt um, which is feels sad to say because she's really good in this movie but like I feel like her whole plot could have been cut. they could have just had them hunting a male alien, but like coming up against walls because the male alien is sort of um... You know, he, he's uh, protected by his powerful father and the male alien is, you know, showing up to events and stuff and sort of um, playing the game. But this time he's not like uh, it's not a fugitive movie. He's a, a guy being protected and his father doesn't know that you know he's he's you know basically starting an alien invasion, and of course no one would believe that you know. Um, and then we have like a rogue team going after him, like that would have made for a cleaner movie. But instead, they kind of stitch together these two plots that have absolutely nothing to do with one another. It's kind of nuts. The last 30 minutes is like the two aliens want to get together to fuck. And then Eve gets reminded of the fact that she was raised by Laura. And then she's like, oh, actually, I should try and murder this alien. Let's talk about the ending. So so the first thing before we actually get into the, the final
1: uh, alien battle of the ending, uh, let's talk about uh, what, uh, what Patrick has been doing every time he has sex. Because, again, I don't know if this is supposed to be funny. It's probably not. But, oh, my God, the fact that every time he has sex, um, a, f- a six-year-old boy... In a burlap sack appears, kind of a reference to the first movie, and just kind of stares at him. And he slowly holds their hand while he has the same look because he he always looks like, uh, you know, Robert Patrick from Terminator. He just slowly has that crazy look in his face and walks him back to a to a shed or a barn. Yeah, uh, is awesome and so so funny on every level. Who saw that was like people are gonna, people are gonna be really disturbed by this.
0: And it does have sort of a brood quality where you're like, who are these creepy non-human kids? Which they're pulling pulling from the first movie, right? Because the first movie had a creepy kid at the end for like 30 seconds and then he just gets blown away. Both of the movies need to make the kids non-kids in order for our heroes to kill them, which is such an amazing fucking cop-out. Uh, the kid needs to become a monster and then sort of don his uh, his metal H.R. eager costume in the first movie for before the heroes can gun him down. Then in the second one, the kids need to become cocoons before our heroes can basically perform a um, massive cocoon abortion scene in that cocoon I, barn. Maybe it, like, it
1: maybe may a cop out, but the scene of them forming into cocoons, I really like. I like the we haven't talked much about the oh, that's a great uh, the practical special effects, but the way that. uh, all these tentacles slowly come out of the kid's nose and then like uh, form on the ceiling and then he kind of gets lifted up as more of these tentacles keep coming out of his orifices and then like all those all those like disparate stringy like membrane tentacles like coagulate around him and he just gets cocooned in himself like that is such a fucking
0: gross awesome scene there's a pretty amazing scene where they all they all come to a head right at the end our group of hunters have finally chased Eve to this barn Eve is trying to who's been a good character up until now she's trying to mate with Patrick uh, not through any sort of malicious move it's just that she can't keep herself away from the only other mate on her planet. And she's been kept away from men her whole life. So men are doubly powerful over, over her. So they meet, they have sex. And then, um, the, the sex is sort of interrupted by, uh, our team of hunters who is now, are now destroying all the cocoons that are being formed. The way that they, uh, the women give birth is that they, their stomachs
1: immediately expand and then, like a weird alien slug face bursts out, like bursts out in the grossest way I think Ugh. I've ever seen in a movie. And then, and then it cuts away, and they're like, you know, they basically exploded with uh, alien duff. I don't, I don't know. And then he looks over, and then there's a kid in a burlap sack.
0: This is competing. This is competing with Life Force for our most disjointed episode. I can guarantee you. This is, We've just been balancing everywhere because it's hard to like track what the fuck is going on. Guy it's also Land- not important. It's also it's, it's really not important. The guy basically lands on Earth. He just goes from A to B to yeah. C to D um, just having sex with women. Eventually, he tries to kill himself in a scene that really reminded me of Hollow Man, where he yeah. puts a gun in his mouth. One shot just blows his head off. And then uh, his head reconstructs itself because the in, parasite isn't ready. Yeah. In real time. Like, in real time, it, it's so it's so it's it's cool, but it's
1: they should have maybe like done it at half speed or something or double speed or whatever you yeah. want to call it
0: because uh. Uh, it feels like they rendered those special effects in real time. <laughs> it does happen. It, it feel okay. So. I've got a couple defenses of it. One, I really hate the end of the third movie, a lot of it because of the flippy floppy CGI where these sort of like lifeless, gravityless characters are running, jumping around. Because if you think about the... So when you're looking at CGI, especially sort of maybe distracting CGI, I think it's uh, helpful to say, um, what were they hoping to accomplish? What was the intended effect on you? And in the first one, the intended effect was just like, the alien's moving so fast, and it's flipping around, and it's doing all these ninja tricks. Like, it's, it's, it's something that's very uninteresting, dramatically, to just have, like, a fast-running alien that's just, like, running at them in a cave. Like, it's just not, it's not interesting to me. This, the idea that um, this alien species that has been shown to be able to repair itself can repair such extensive damage that even the guy is, like, shocked by his own ability to come back is uh remarkable like that's a really interesting thing to chew on so if you have something to chew on it's like a distraction from the distraction like it's a cool idea it reminds me of in hollow man when they they put they make the gorilla go invisible and you can see like the vein system spread out Yes. Yeah. It, the effect is aged in hollow man but it is still very impressive because it's essentially you're watching veins being mapped
1: yeah and i uh i should say too in 1998 i don't i don't remember this i remember the scene actually looking awesome So, I mean, and I I like
0: it for all the reasons that you said. It's conceptually interesting in a way that these, uh, that the the flippy floppy CGI from the first movie is not. I think overall the special effects in this movie are better than the first. And they they double down on practical effects, especially in the final battle. You want to talk about the final battle a little bit between Eve and Patrick? I mean, we're saying we're going to, but there's no guarantee because we keep saying it, and then we
1: we go back. Um, which, again, I think very much fits fits the movie, so I'm fine with that. But so for all our listeners out there, we're going to try to talk about the final battle. Yeah, well, maybe we'll get there. I have no idea. Maybe maybe we will. We won't even talk about the ending. Maybe we'll do that. So, it kind of reminds me of Masters of the Universe. you want to talk about that for 30 minutes? <laughs> I don't know. Let's talk about Flash Gordon and then transition into Masters of the Universe. So, so you mentioned you have problems with the ending. And you also mentioned that you think that Eve is going just to have sex with Patrick and then kind of changes her mind partway through and remembers huma- her humanity. I always took it, including on this watch, That she was, I mean, there was that, that she she was animalistic, alienistically attracted to him because of their alien DNA bond. But that her plan from the get-go was to go there because the humans, I mean, she had heard the humans talk about how ineffective they were being, and her plan was to always go there and kill and kill him and she couldn't do that until he was vulnerable in their sex cocoon that they make Um, and that the, the fact that she doesn't communicate that is supposed to be a twist to the audience but it always felt like to me that she was pretty you're supposed to think that oh great now she's gone rogue as an audience member. But I but I feel like the movie always kind of communicates that she wants to help, that she's there for her, that I, I don't think that, but, but she has to break out on her own terms because the humans aren't listening to her.
0: Well, why would she, why would she, why would the triggering moment where she changes her mind be right after Laura yells at her, like, remember? I don't know. Um, i I think it just makes more sense to have like uh, eve this time eve is more struggling with her her humanity and i I, I guess maybe i just feel it's shittier to the character because i do one thing i think they do
1: a better job in this movie is that you don't Eve isn't this out-of-control monster that gives in... Like, that's kind of the, my problems with... And I think both of our problems with the second ha- half of the first species. After setting up some interesting concepts, they just kind of turn her into a, like, maniacal, conniving monster, which is unfortunate. And I, I feel like if they... And if they if they just did that in this one, too, where she's also completely gives into her animalistic side, even if she does come out of it in a way that still does. I, I think that's, I think it's shittier to the character, I guess a little bit. So maybe, maybe that's why I'm, um, I'm thinking about it that way. Even if um, you're right, you did just lawyer me a little bit and I don't have a good explanation for that. But <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I like it better the way that I think it happened.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you're, you're, you're allowed to be wrong. It's, it's totally fine. No. Yeah. I mean, I, it's interesting. That's what we should have named our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're allowed to be wrong yeah uh, but it, it this movie is um so heavy on text where it doesn't need text and so light on text where it would be very helpful that I think that uh, strange interpretations of the biggest scene in the movie arguably is to be under understandable like I think I think it's pretty pretty understandable that that there might be some confusion on what the fuck is going on even in the biggest scene of this movie because the smallest scenes don't make sense. The blood glass basically tips over in that that one scientist's lab and he he goes over and touches the blood like he's never seen blood before and then um, the blood crawls into a wall and, I don't know, turns a rat into a species. Like, I don't know what the fuck (laughs) is going on. I don't know what the fuck is going on in that scene at all on a literal level. That would have been good to have like a little bit more... Um, visual textual information but there's there's just nothing nothing there so yeah in the end basically Eve revolts against Patrick her partner maybe it's a praying mantis thing where she's like I got what I needed from you and now I'm going to murder you and uh, I actually think that this finale tops the first one yeah, <laughs> yeah. On every level. The effects are better. The core team isn't as muddied. Whereas in the first movie, it's like... Literally literally in the first one. (laughs) Yeah. Forrest Whitaker, by the end of the first movie, I'm like, wait. What? Who are... Like, the movie keeps bringing up Forrest Whitaker's abilities. And you're like, what is this, like pseudoscience mumbo jumbo bullshit that they keep bringing up that he can do and then like it, then there's this like fake cgi fire and these two fake oh, yeah. cgi uh species creatures jumping in each other and these just like horrible cgi effects and it's just like leads to this really air sats quality and then the movie ends with this shot of this rat getting infected that's just like <laughs> who gives a fuck like it, the movie fan favorite me, yeah. fan favorite rat fat fa- according to peter Medak, fan favorite rat <laughs> and it, it, it's interesting to me because <sighs> the the new one has this like i think has a much better finale but it has a lot of unearned moments in the finale that I, th- I really like the creepy patrick monster
1: oh yeah uh, i was gonna say that 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 is you know i kind of this is really unfair to hr geiger but i feel like um, I feel like he really always phoned in Sill slash Eves monster design. Like, oh my god, it's 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 really not good. Even At though all. they plaster HR Geiger, and you know what's funny though now because I always thought that I'm like this is this is pretty bad. Like this is just. Uh, and I was reading today doing research, Peter, uh, that apparently he was very unhappy with the final design because he had designed um, all these different forms based on uh, her cocooning. And changing into different aliens, and in the first movie, they just decided to cut them all out and use one of the forms that wasn't even finished. So H.R. Geiger actually was upset with um, the design, and rightfully so, because they definitely kept uh, plastering his name and referencing that this is just like aliens, guys, and it's a piece of
0: garbage. Yeah, it is, and my girlfriend was just like laughing at the TV, just like... Of course her nipples are tentacles. Like, it's the dumbest... It's basically, like, Matt Gorley's impression of H.R. Yeah, Geiger. that's what I was gonna say. Like- he, he's like, <laughs> you put penises on everything. Yeah. Even nipples can be penises. <laughs> like, it's so just lazy. It's just a lazy version of his work, whereas, like, at the, the Alien movies, as they got on, I think elegantly interpreted... His monster designs from the yep. first movie. Uh, yeah. I think that the queen in Alien Resurrection is really great looking. Um, I think that conceptually the baby Plug. from the f- fourth one works well, but is you know visually kind of troubling. But is way better looking than the um, than Eve ever looked, the original form of Eve.
1: Yeah, but Patrick, I mean, it's it's a weird design, and then it splits in
0: two, and he suddenly has two heads. Like it's a really good design. It reminds me of a Bloodborne boss. Yeah. It's got this sort of sinewy quality. It's it's very beast-like. It has a gravity to it. I don't think that they used very much CGI for it. I think a lot of it no. is practical effects and wire work. Yeah. Um, maybe some miniatures. The only thing I don't like about it is there's a extremely uncomfortable moment when it chokes Eve to death with its yeah. like, tentacle cock. And it's like, it's really miscalculated because it's gooey, vaguely pornographic. It's just like not. The way it's shot too is like a weird framed, almost like a porno shot, where she's just getting like choked by this like tentacle thing, and it's too on the nose, and it's too sexually violent against a character that we're supposed to be rooting for. Like, it's not it's not fun. It's fun to watch these two monsters with different sort of capabilities duke it out. It's not fun to watch one of them get um, orally raped to death. Yeah, that is the worst part, and and the rest of it I really do like. Um... I was extremely uncomfortable after that. That was the second moment I referenced earlier that I was like, okay, this movie just you know, stepped over a line. And, and that's kind of like,
1: I think the if you were to use one word to describe this movie, it's excess. And I think that's one of the problems with excess is that it's, it's great that this movie doubles down on everything. Like, it's like, let's be super gross. Uh, most movies have... Um, have one scene where people are naked just you know every other scene someone's naked let's let's have people explode like it it just doubles down on all that to a point that it's almost endearing in the way that like I said it feels sometimes like a bunch of 12 year olds got into a script room and 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 hammered this baby out and that's it's sort of funny that 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 how far they consistently go but the problem with excess is that when you go too far it gets super uncomfortable because you're already pushing the audience's limits
0: yeah and it it does feel Sort of adolescent in a way. It's sort of hinting at a sort of metaphor for sexuality, but it's not actually um, putting any of these pieces together in a sort of concerted way. It's just sort of like, here's some creepy sex imagery. Here's, yeah, (laughs) which feels like yeah something that like a 12 year old would do, or is just like you cut the dick choking, cut the
1: um, the joke slash attempted rape scene and the racist character, and I think you have a movie that does excess really well and those are kind of the three moments that it was like you played with fire the whole movie and you, you got burnt a couple times there
0: I think um, do you have any sort of final thoughts or final scenes that you wanted to dive into because I think we're, we've sort of tapped a lot of what this movie has to offer the one kind of stray uh, scene thought
1: that I, that I really liked again in the and I, this is definitely a laughing at not a laughing with but um they start the movie with a address from the president who is Richard Belzer and then later <laughs> which is funny uh, just the fact that Richard Belzer is the president I, I think the script supervisor of this movie was in a drunken haze because later on uh, they're in uh, James Cromwell's office and he plays a U.S. senator and he has a picture of the president and it's Bill Clinton either <laughs> you should have put Richard Belzer up on that wall
0: that was like in the first five minutes felt like it was yeah like the dude was just like housed and writing a different movie because like Richard Belzer thing happened right after the, the colonel gets in Introduced and i just yep. like, oh, so this is a satire of the first movie. That's awesome. I, well, it's always kind of cool when a sequel comes out that's sort of like making fun of previous entries. Yeah, like like Gremlins 2 or in
1: some ways Babe Pig in the City uh, are two good examples of that. And yeah, I thought that too because... the the, the news the the newscaster another in bad or crazy movies I decided my favorite thing is any local newscast because the newscaster who this is right before Richard Belzer stuff uh, as, as the president, uh, right before that is a newscaster who is, like, ready to kill himself after this. He is talking about, it's nice to know people can still do good things in a world that's this terrible, and then, like, he cuts away and is, and is like, there's crime, murder, people dying in the streets, but we've landed on Mars, and that they can't take that away from us. It's like, Jesus Christ.
0: These, like, massively depressed local news anchors that just, like, don't really know how to comprehend all the horrible shit happening around them and it's just like later in the movie there's a guy who's like there's a serial killer on the loose and he just sounds kind of like bored by it like he lives in a universe where this just happens all the time like yeah I love that
1: it's, it's trying to communicate a tone or something to the audience but it just is it's so weird and on the nose that uh, that it really comes off. News anchors uh, are so easily
0: fumbleable in these movies, like, the... well, and, and in real life.
1: There's yeah, a reason that there's whole there's there's probably like thousands of hours on YouTube of local news anchors not keeping it together when they should. Um, God. The the only other thing I'll mention is that uh, so the first the first one we've mentioned a ton of times has a terrible psych out where now that rat's coming for us. We couldn't stop the alien, I guess, because the sequel's gonna be all about mutant rats. <laughs> But, but I actually kind of like, like, in that sort of, like, uh, terrible attempt to do a Twilight Zone ending, I kind of like the psych out ending in the second one where uh, there's Sills in the, or <laughs> Eve's in the ambulance. Uh, for no reason, a cat jumps on her. You all of a sudden pan over and one of the alien kids in the burlap sack is just staring at her. And then you hear her chest burst open and it goes to credits. You know, it's not good uh, in the sense that it's, uh, it's not good in the sense that it's sort of an original way to leave people hanging, but it's it's kind of the perfect type of bad Twilight Zone, the end, question mark.
0: Yeah, it, it's more like Tales from the Crypt where everything just yeah. goes to shit in the last 30 seconds where you're just like, you're like, oh, I'm glad I got away with that money after killing my wife. And then he's on a beach and then the beach uh, just um, eats him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he, he just drowns on the beach, I guess.
1: It's the perfect ending for this type of movie, the best yeah, way to say it. You're,
0: you're just like, well, let's throw some more horrible shit at you. Whereas in the first movie, they're approaching respectability, so it didn't really make sense. But yeah, I guess that's basically this movie in a nutshell. This is the campier, campier little brother with less restraint and less respect, but more interested in the sort of stuff that makes these movies fun to watch.
1: It's a blast. It Again, it's it's super. I'm surprised Focus focus on the family from early 90s like if this can get rated R what else could get rated R but it's true like i can't believe this is just an R on every level it's just excessive so it's it's definitely not one to watch with the whole family it if you want to watch the equivalent of a sentient 12-year-old get control of a 35 million dollar hollywood movie i can't think of a better example can't do better Yes. Uh, yeah, so thank you so much for joining us. We only have one more week left of Alien Reinvasion Month, the super popular thing everyone's talking about everywhere on the internet. You can't go anywhere. I can I can't leave my house. I refuse to anyways, but unrelated. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so our last week, uh, next week of Alien Re-Invasion, it's kind of, we're taking a different turn. We've done, I think, more horror movies for the most part, or action horror or sci-fi horror, and we are going to be doing a different type of alien invasion, and that is uh, the invasion of bad Kryptonians and one good Kryptonian in Richard Lester's cut of Superman 2, featuring the person who does a bunch of amazing artwork for us. I know we've said it many times now, but honestly, we can't thank him enough, and I've seen some of the artwork for upcoming episodes. I am super excited uh, for you guys to get to see those because there's some there's some really good stuff coming around the bend. But Zach Groton will be uh, joining us. Um, we, we pay him. We pay him for his artwork in, in guest appearances. Um, <laughs> Lucky him. Essentially. Um, he's, at, he's asked for money many times, but we're like, how about instead of money, you take three hours out of your day and come talk to us for a little bit? Um, I, crunch, I crunch the numbers; it balances out. Okay, good. Yeah, most, most of the time, uh, when when people pay you for work, you have to do more work.
0: Uh, yeah, that's, that's how it works. <laughs> it's like in Chevy Chase and Dirty Work. He's like, I don't get it. You owe them five thousand dollars. They break your wrist. You still owe them five thousand dollars. <laughs> Exactly. So,
1: Zach, thank you for coming on and letting us break your wrist um, <laughs> again. Uh, and then we are ready to announce August. Killbillies is going to be our next theme month, which is redneck-themed horror uh, mo- redneck themed horror movies. Um, so in August, we will be moving on to our second theme month, which we're really excited about, called Killbillies, which are redneck-themed horror movies. And we're going to kick off that month with a movie that I've never seen called Motel Hell. Uh, and we are going to be joined on that episode by Connor Malcolm Crockford, and we're very excited to have him on. Uh, that'll be followed by the
0: 1980 movie Mother's Day, which I don't think Peter either Peter and I have seen. So after that, we're going to have Deliverance with Michael Garneri, who is also from The Dissolve. We're going to follow that up with Devil's Rejects, which will just be Aaron and me. And then uh, after that, we're going to top off the month um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 with uh, Zach Groton again. Yeah, more payment. More payment. <laughs> <laughs> got to pay so, the piper.
1: So if you like Zach Groton, I got great news for you. Uh, if you don't, uh, what is wrong with you? <laughs> um, he's he's wonderful. But, uh, yeah, so we, we'll we'll announce more. We'll talk a little bit more about those episodes as we get closer. We have a lot more theme months coming your way, guys. Uh, and we're, we're working to get some really great guests on as well. So keep it keep it right here on this same radio channel um to these things really just they just peter out it feels like all of my relationships <laughs> <laughs> all my relationships peter out
0: whether or not they go well or not yeah um
1: no but thank you so much for joining us based
0: on my name <laughs> okay do, do you say stuff
1: like rob peter to pay paul all the time when you don't get your way <laughs> yes <laughs> okay sorry <laughs> he's, such a, he's such a fun name. Um,
0: <laughs> I, had to, I had to
1: derail things a little bit. <laughs> um all right, well that's better than whatever ending we were going for. So yeah, let's just let this this uh podcast peter out. I've Bye. been